Good morning, everyone. As usual, the music was great. Dan Walker just keeps mixing it up. These guys over here today, they're like a cross between a Motown act and a barbershop quartet. <laughs> wasn't it great? Wasn't it encouraging to have the Walkerites up here uh, first thing in the morning, the, the, the seed of clay? What an encouraging, what, what something for us all to aspire to, right? It's just fantastic. Um, happy Mother's Day. Obviously, it's been said. Um, you know, uh, we we love to celebrate Mother's Day in this country. If you if you grew up in America, it's it's part of it's part of your culture. It's been a national holiday since 1914. Uh, interestingly, Father's Day didn't become a national holiday till 1972. I'm not I'm not so sure what the lag is there, but uh, you know, outside of our own culture and time. Uh, there's always been this uh, tendency to honor uh, motherhood. The, the ancient Greeks and the Romans, they had these festivals to their mother goddesses, uh, Rhea and Sibeli and, and, and others. Um, the medieval Christians would celebrate something they called Mothering Sunday, which they would, they would celebrate on the fourth Sunday of Lent back in like the 16th century. But it ultimately just kind of evolved into a general mothering uh, or a mother's uh, honoring. It's, it, it started off actually on Mothering Day, you were supposed to go visit your mother church where you were baptized um, in, in case you had been sort of dispersed and it moved on and gone, gone somewhere else. But, but like I said, it ultimately just became a mother celebration. So, you know, throughout history um, and cross culture, there's this human yearning to honor motherhood. You know, even the Jews, uh, which are which are an incredibly patriarchal group, right? If if you look into them at all, uh, they they hold this sacredness with motherhood. Um, if you as you read your Bible and you read through genealogies, whether you're in Genesis or, or or Chronicles or even in some of the New Testament genealogies of Jesus, you just see one man after another for the most part, right? A father, son. The son becomes a father, has a son. That's who you hear about. Uh, we've been in Genesis, we've, we've kind of looked at the father of the Hebrews, which is Abraham, and he was promised by God that he would become a great nation. And in order for that to happen, he had to have a son, right? If, 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 if he had had a daughter, if Isaac had been a, a, a daughter, she would have married someone into someone else's family, and, and, and that would have been that family's uh, nation, right? So you know, it's a very patriarchal society, and yet in the rabbinic teachings which are these, these Jewish teachings sometimes referred to as the oral Torah that, that developed between like 500 BC and into the first century AD, um, this, this concept of matrilineality came out. And, and essentially the rabbis taught that Judaism passes through the mother, not the father. So, so to, to kind of illustrate, if a Jewish man were to have married a non-Jewish woman and they have children, their children would not be natural-born Jews. Um, they would have to be converted to Judaism at some time in their life. Whereas, you flip that, and a Jewish woman marries a non-Jewish man, their offspring would be Jews, right? So it's so very interesting and, and kind of counterintuitive when you think of how patriarchal Judaism is. But logically, of course, it makes perfect sense, right? Um, the... the uh, a, a, a child is carried inside the mother's body as it's as it's being formed. You teens know about that because you 
uh, take your reproductive classes in the public schools. The government teaches you these things. Thank God. Otherwise, how would you find out? <laughs> After the child is born, it's, it's sustained by the mother's body until it's weaned, right? But even after it's weaned, you know, which parent has the most influence over a child in, during its most formative years, right? Psychologists tell us that those early years is really when you kind of become who you're going to be from a psychological standpoint. And certainly in previous generations, it was the mother that would be spending more time with the kids. The father wouldn't have had much use for them until they were able to, like, do something, like work, right? <laughs> and even in our current... Our current society today, where we see two parents in the workforce often, it, it really is the mother that, that does the majority of the nurturing. Of course, there's exceptions to this, but generally speaking, right? Yep. You know, the fact of the matter is, uh, it's the mother's love that anchors us emotionally, uh, provides a, a foundation for our psyche, it stabilizes us, uh, it instills a sense of security. You know, Gene alluded to it. This morning in, in the welcome, but you know, when Jesus, uh, and you don't have to turn there, but in Matthew 23, when Jesus is kind of lamenting and pouring out his heart over Jerusalem, who, 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 who he surely loved, he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. You know, Jesus uses a mothering example to describe this, this languishing love that he, that he has, this protective love, this, this longing. You know, roosters don't gather chicks under their wings. A rooster would be just as likely to kill one of its chicks and eat it. Uh, but, but it's the mother that protects. And that's what, that's what God is, is, is trying to illustrate here through Jesus. <clears throat> and I thought that since it's Mother's Day, and since we're in church, um, that, that we could do a sermon kind of drawing on some illustrations of motherhood in the Bible and, and maybe some illustrations of how uh, great people in the Bible honored their mothers. And, you know, we've been in Genesis, so I thought, well, we'll take a look at Sarah. Um, but, you know, uh, there's not a lot of interaction between Sarah and Isaac when you read about them in the Bible. You know, you know that she was his mother, and, but you don't really see the two of them interacting in a lot of passages. We see... Isaac interacting with his dad Abraham just a couple of weeks ago we learned about uh, Abraham taking Isaac up to potentially kill him in, in Moriah on the mountain and that'd be a great Father's Day uh, sermon and as a son I can re remember many times when I thought to myself my dad's going to kill me and, 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 as a, and as a father of sons I can think of many times when I thought I'm going to have to kill that boy you know but that doesn't do much for us on Mother's Day, right? <laughs> then I think, well, let's, let's jump forward a generation. Let's look at Rebecca and her sons, Esau and, and uh, Jacob. Wow. And, and we see a lot of interaction there, um, but not the kind of interaction that you want to take moral lessons from, right? You know, she taught Jacob how to cheat, lie, deceive. Um, she favored him over his brother. It's not good mothering stuff, right? And of course, we see Jacob in his own life went on to be a deceiver and one who gets deceived. And, and, and in his late, later years, he showed favoritism amongst his own sons. It's not a good lesson, right? It's a good lesson of what not to do, not encouraging for Mother's Day, right? So um, I thought maybe Hannah, she's a very inspiring figure. Uh, uh, her perseverance, her dedication, uh, her love for God. But ultimately, I ended on Mary. I kind of took the easy way out, right? You know, we're going to look at Mary and Jesus. So if you want to turn over to Luke 
chapter 1. <clears throat> we'll start off in verse 26. I want, to, I want to pull out a couple of aspects of motherhood and, and hopefully maybe, maybe they're a little different than the ones we normally think of on Mother's Day. And also take a look at Jesus and, and how he honored his mother in a way that's maybe a little bit different than what we typically think of when we think of honoring our parents. So we'll just jump right in. Uh, in verse 26 of Luke 1, it says, <clears throat> In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of, da a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. You know, my first point is <clears throat> mothers are brave. You know, we read this passage and we typically read it around Christmas time. You know, at the beginning of uh, Jesus' life and just such a joyous time. And it's so magical and angels and and uh, the Holy Spirit, and, and we, we, at, at Christmas time we sing that song, or, or some, somebody, one of our really talented folks will sing, Mary, did you know? You know it's just, the song gives me goosebumps. You know, Mary, did you know that your son would you know, save the world and heal the sick? And it's just a really touching song. And, and you know what? I, I don't know if Mary knew all that at all. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know what she knew as far as all that went, but I bet what she did know right about this time was that she was in for a rough road. You know, she was about to become an, an unwed pregnant girl in a culture that frowned upon such things in a way that we can't begin to imagine. You know, we have a little bit of a stigma toward that in our, our culture, but it would have been nothing like what Mary was about to go through. And she would have known that was in store for her. You know, she would have brought scorn, uh, shame, uh, disgrace on her own family. Uh, Joseph, who was pledged to be married to her, we know from Matthew's account of this story, went through this period of maybe I ought to back out of this. I, I don't know if I can go through this. It would have been extremely troubling. It would have been extremely difficult for her. And she would have known this immediately, right? That would have been probably the first thing on her mind. But she bravely faced that, right? And I think sometimes... You know, that doesn't always escape me. I kind of I've, I kind of consider that from time to time. But what I always mess up with is I seem to have this weird belief that once Jesus was born, everything was OK. You know, oh, the, the angels were there and the shepherds came and the wise men and the cattle and the sheep. But no, it wouldn't have been like that at all. This disgrace, this stigma would have passed on to him as well. And he would have carried it 
throughout his whole life. Nazareth was not a big town. Everybody was in everyone's business, right? And nobody knew Jesus was the son of God in his early days, right? He was just like every other kid. The only thing that would have been unique about him is that people wouldn't be sure who his father was. You know, Mary knew that. Mary knew that going in, right? You know, there's, a, there's this thing in Judaism, when you read your Bible, who your father is, is everything, right? You know, uh, first, the first king of Israel, Saul, son of Kish, right? That's basically your last name is who your dad was, right? You know, David, son of Jesse, Simon, bar Jonah. You know, for, for, for Jesus to have grown up in questionable lineage would have been a really rough time for him, right? There's this interesting interchange in John chapter 8. You don't have to turn there, but, but Jesus is having this back and forth with the Jews. And uh, it's a typical Jesus debate. He's, he's, he's getting them all whipped up. They're getting all frustrated. And they're, and they're saying, you know, we're, we're sons of Abraham. They're, they're, trying to, they're trying to distinguish their sort of spiritual lineage, right? And Jesus says, well, yeah, you're the, you're the sons of Abraham, I guess. But if you were really the sons of Abraham, you would do what Abraham does or did. And, but as it is, you're trying to kill me. And Abraham wouldn't do something like that. And finally, he gets them so worked up that they yell at him in, in verse 41. They say, we're not illegitimate children. And, and that's the NIV version. The ESV is a little more graphic. They, they, say, they say to him, we're not born of sexual immorality. And, and, and the larger context of that statement was probably still sort of in the spiritual metaphorical sense but, but a lot of commentators believe that that was sort of an underhanded jab at Jesus's history they're kind of saying hey Jesus we know you we've looked into you we know we know about your questionable beginnings maybe you ought to back off before we get personal right you know how that kind of happens even in our own society when your argument starts to break down you start calling people names right start trying to tear them down personally that was what Jesus was going through even at this time in his life and Mary knew this was going to happen this is what would be in store for any situation like this but she faced it bravely she said in verse 38 i am the lord's servant may your word be fulfilled she was brave mothers are brave even in our, even any, any any mother right you face the when you find out that you're going to be a mother, right? You face the discomfort of pregnancy, the pain of labor, the, the horror of actually raising that kid and, you know, the terrible twos and the adolescence. And, uh, and, and, and you never know, you never know what type of heartbreaks you're going to go through with your child. But if you're sober minded about it, you know that you will go through some kind of heartbreak. That's what being a mother is all about. But mothers face it because mothers are brave. Let's turn to John 19. <clears throat> Forgive me for skipping around, but I needed more material. We'll be in John 19, starting in verse 25. <clears throat> in verse 25, it says, Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. The second point is mothers are tough. You know, Jesus was there being crucified and, and Mary was there. And I think it's good to contrast that with who wasn't there. Right? 
Um, and we talk about this from time to time. Of course, the disciples weren't there. Peter, the rock, wasn't there. Jesus called Peter the rock, the rock upon which the church would be built. You know, we have a guy named Rock in our own society, right? Our own culture. We have Dwayne the Rock Johnson, right? We tend to think he's a pretty tough guy, right? If we didn't think he was tough, we wouldn't let him get away with calling himself the rock, right? You know, but Peter was called the rock, but he certainly wasn't living up to it at this time. But his mother was there. You know, she was bearing the disgrace of being associated with somebody being killed on a cross. It was, it was the most horrible way for the Romans to come up with, a, to, to kill people, right? It was disgraceful. They wouldn't do it to their own citizens. They would do it to the worst of criminals. And, and even amongst the Jews, this would have been a disgrace. Deuteronomy uh, 21 says anyone hung on a pole is under God's curse. So everybody would have been horrified at this disgrace. But Mary's there. She's tough. She's not going to abandon her son at this time. You know, and just witnessing the horror of the crucifixion itself, you know. We, 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 see, we see depictions of it in movies today, the, the, the flogging and the, and, the, and the nailing to the cross. And, and we can't hardly stomach it on a TV screen, right? I have to believe that if I were there seeing it live, I'd be really tempted to run not be able to bear up against it. But we dare not even imagine something like that happening to our own children. Right. 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 But, but Mary was there. She was so tough, you know, for her, for her son. You know, reminds me a little bit of, of, of my own mother. Um, my mom, I had a great mom. Um, and she was hardworking and independent. But, uh, but she was very proud. Um, uh, very proud. And uh, unfortunately for her... In my teen years and early adult years, I, I turned into a son that is not easily that you're not easily proud of. Uh, I I, uh, I got into a lot of trouble, and, and it's it wasn't boys will be boys trouble. It was it was big trouble, right? And uh, this really got to my mom because, like I said, she was proud. She cared what a, I'd like to say she didn't care what people thought, but she did. And uh, you know, we didn't have social networks back then there was no internet but but the housewives of the time would burn up those landlines gossiping about what so-and-so's kid was into and did you hear about what she did and did you hear about what happened and you know i was the one they were talking about right and uh much to my mother's shame and it, and it culminated when she had to come visit me in jail and uh you know there's no doubt in my mind that was the last place she wanted to be and and, and I love my mom, but, but she cared so much about what people thought. I, walking across that parking lot and wondering who was going to see her. And, oh, hey, what are you doing here? Hey, well, they know what she was doing there, right? But I, I never forget seeing her and, and seeing you. Know, she, she's sitting across that table, you know. And I see the, the mixed emotions, right? The, the shame, the disappointment, the hurt, but also the love. You know, she, she, she had zero understanding of what she was going through right then. And she certainly didn't approve of it. <laughs> but she was tough. She loved her son. She was going to be there even when she didn't understand. You know, and, and this, you know, several decades later, I, I really saw her toughness come out as she, as she died. Um, cancer killed her. <clears throat> and, and we all have a cancer story uh, to tell. But, you know, she, one of the last times we went to see her, she was, she was laying in, uh, on, uh, in this sort of a recliner chair and she couldn't even hardly lift her head she was she was she was in horrible pain she was on a lot of medication uh, my dad waited on her hand and foot had to carry her from one place to another you know she, this proud woman this proud independent woman 
And she was in so much distress that she'd be in the middle of a sentence and, and just kind of break off into crying, you know, the pain uh, and the anguish. And then she'd pull herself together and finish her sentence, right? And, uh, but her biggest complaint to me was, your dad. Your dad's not getting enough rest. Your dad's working too hard. Your dad needs to let someone come in and help. Talk to your dad. Do something about your dad. You know, she was so tough. You know, she was, she, if anybody can be self-centered, if anybody can have an excuse for kind of being a little, you know, about their own problems, it, it would have been then. It would have been my mom. But she was so tough. You know, she was looking out and, and caring about somebody else. And, and she was dying. Right, she wasn't winning that battle. It wasn't one of those. I'm going to fight on. No, she was dying. Everybody knew it, right? But that was her. That was her concern, right? That's how tough she was. And, you know, as a boy, I always wanted to be tough. You know, truth be told, I'm I'm almost 50 and I'm still trying to be tough. You know, I'm still trying to figure that out, right? And it, you know, we I think young men they they look to. Uh, action heroes in the movies or comic book characters or sports figures or war heroes and we try to model toughness after those guys but my mom <clears throat> was the toughest person I ever knew and she was right under my roof and I didn't even realize it you know and, and I bet your mom is one of the toughest people that you've ever known and that you'll ever know because moms <clears throat> are tough yeah, but let's take a look at Jesus you know, even on Mother's Day Jesus gets to be the hero. Um, you know, what happens in this passage that we just read? We, we see this interchange between uh, uh, Jesus and John. We, we, we believe that the disciple whom Jesus loved was how John refers to himself uh, in, the, in the book of John. And he, he essentially says to his mother, woman, here is your son. And to John, he says, uh, here is your mother. And, and we, under, we take that to mean that he, he kind of designated John to care for his mother uh, now that he was leaving, now that he was going to be gone. And, uh, you know, so what do we take from that? Well, first of all, he just kind of obliterates all of our excuses for not calling mom, <laughs> right? You know, he, he, my mom, when she was alive, she'd get me on the phone and say, hey, uh, just checking to see if you're still alive. It's been a while. Haven't heard from you. I left you a message a couple weeks ago. Did you get that? Yeah, mom, I, I got your message. I'm, I'm sorry. And I'd say, Mom, I'm just so busy. Work is crazy, and the kids are into all these different things. And I, I meant to call you a couple times, but I just didn't get around to it, you know. And here's Jesus. He's dying, <laughs> saving the world, right? If any, if any, if anybody deserved a little slack, <laughs> it was Jesus, right? But, but he says, No, no, no I'm going to take care of my mom, right? Uh, you know, take care of your mom. You know, she won't always be with you. you know, take care of your mom. Call your mom. And your dad, for that matter. But if you'll permit me, I'd like to go off on a little tangent right about now, which, as you know, I'm kind of prone to do. And I want to look at this passage and ask a question. Why John? Why would Jesus pick John to care for his mother? In my, uh, in my intellectual laziness, I would tend to just kind of say, oh, well, John was there. You know, there wasn't a bunch of guys there. The rest of them were gone. John was the person just happened to be standing there. So he said, hey, take care of my mom, right? But I don't think that gives Jesus enough credit. You know, Jesus knew well in advance what was going to happen. Um, he tried to explain it over and over again to, to his disciples, even though they didn't get it. He, he had ample time and ample opportunity to arrange 
the ideal situation for the care of his mom, right? <clears throat> but he didn't. He picked, he picked John. You know, why John? Why not somebody else? And I think the real question is, why not his own family? You know, Matthew 13 lists all of Jesus' brothers by name. He had four of them. Uh, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. And he had more than one sister because the passage says all of his sisters are with us. So probably three or more, right? If it were two, it would have said both of his sisters. If it was one, it would have said his sister. But all of his sisters. So this is a, a big family, right? And Jewish ethics at the time and even today demand that you care for your aging parents. It's not just a matter of duty, it's a matter of honor. Paul tells Timothy in, in, in 1 Timothy 5, he, he's discussing with him how to, how to take care of widows, how to make sure that they're provided for, and how the church can play a role in caring for the widows. But in verse 4 he says, but hey, if this widow has children or grandchildren, they need to take care of her, right? They need to pay her back because that's pleasing to God. And then later in verse 8, Paul tells Timothy, anyone who doesn't take care of their own family it, it has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And I don't believe that that was new Christian thought on the part of Paul. Paul was a Jew, and I believe this is something that he had probably been trained on, and he was simply passing it on to Timothy and, and to the Christians in probably Ephesus, where the letter was being sent. It would have been an honor for Jesus' brothers or sisters to care for their mother. It would have been expected that they care for their mother. It would have been insulting to them, I think, that Jesus would have put their mother in the care of some out-of-work fisherman that they, that they may not have even known very well. It, it would have been scandalous. It's funny, Jesus is born in the scandal and he dies in the scandal. You know, he's, he's such an upsetting figure, right? You know, why wouldn't he pick his own family? Well, let's turn over to John 7 and maybe get a little bit of insight. <clears throat> we'll be in verse 2. John 7 verse 2 says, But when the Jews, Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea, <clears throat> so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his, bro his own brothers did not believe in him. Even his own brothers did not believe in him. They didn't get it. They didn't understand. We, we see in Mark 3 that, that at least at one point in Jesus' life, his family thought he was out of his mind. Right? They, they weren't on board. <laughs> they didn't quite get it. And when Jesus needed to honor his mother... In the most important way of all, by caring for her needs, he was more concerned with the spiritual standing and spiritual well-being of the caretaker rather than whether or not that guy had a spot in the family tree. You know, surely Jesus was a good son. And surely he was a good brother, a loving brother, a, a, a considerate brother. He would, have, he would have been aware of what he was doing. But the fact of the matter is, Jesus was not... Sentimental. He did not let his actions be driven by his feelings and by 
propriety and tradition and things like that. You know, he knew the line between loving your family and worshiping God. Amen. He knew that there was a difference, and he knew how to distinguish that difference. You know, surely his brothers and his sisters, some of them at least, would have been more than capable of caring for their mother's physical and emotional needs, right? And perhaps Mary might have even been more comfortable with her own family. You know, she's just been through a tragic death of her son. Uh, we tend to believe that Joseph, of course, was, was no longer around. Otherwise, there wouldn't have been a need for someone to care for. Surely she would have been much more comfortable with her own people, her own family. They could have taken care of her just fine from a worldly point of view, but, but Jesus would have known what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians verse 5, that we no longer regard people from a worldly point of view. We're not so interested in those things anymore. And this is really hard for us when we, when we consider our own families, right? And, and even, even our close friends, especially the old friends, people that may not be disciples of Christ, that, that may not share in the faith that we have. You know, we want to be sentimental. We want to keep the peace. We want to maintain those relationships. And we're even tempted sometimes to compromise faithful decisions to maintain that, that peace. But, you know, Jesus warns us in, in Luke uh, 12. You don't have to turn there. <clears throat> but in Luke 12, 51, he says, Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two, two against three. They will be divided. Father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. I've always wondered why he distinguishes mother and mother-in-law and not father and, and, and son and father-in-law. It's some, something about mothers and mother-in-laws. But, but anyway... Um, <clears throat> uh, but anyway, I don't think Jesus delights in divisions amongst the family or, or friendships and relationships being broken up. But he's trying to warn us that if we're going to put God first, and if we're going to be disciples, and if we're going to walk with God, then we're going to be controversial by nature. We're going to be downright off-putting to, to certain individuals, and especially those that, that are closest to us. You know, we're tempted as, as Christians, as sentimental Beings, we're tempted to want to put all of our closest friends and family members into that believer box, right? Ed touched on this a little bit a couple of weeks. We want to say uh, they believe in God-ish, you know, and they're they're good people, right? Why don't we just leave it at that, right? You believe in God, I believe in God. You're you're a good person. I'm a good person. Let's just stay there, and and you can feel good about who you are, and I can feel good about who I am, and we can just go on and and have no disruption from these weightier issues that are bubbling just under the surface trying to get out, right? We'll, we'll keep those stifled. You know, but, but Jesus never called us to have some general belief system or, or, or to be good people or to seek after feeling good or, or making others feel good. You know, Jesus calls us to repent. Amen. He calls us to be disciples. He calls us to be born again of water and of spirit. He calls us to proclaim his word. You know, we have to honor our families, but we have to follow Christ, right? <clears throat> and you might say, well, okay, that's a great point, Tim, but do we really need to talk about that on Mother's Day? <laughs> Can't I have this one day just to be sentimental, right? Well, the reason I, I, I illustrate it is this. 
You know, most of us in here have the good fortune of being able to draw on wonderful, sentimental, nostalgic thoughts towards our mothers, right? We have fond memories of the love of our mothers. And that alone, in many cases, is enough to motivate us to honor our mothers on a wonderful day like this. But the truth of the matter is, and this is one of the things that we don't often talk about on Mother's Day, <laughs> is that, hey, life is complicated. And not everybody has wonderful, nostalgic, sentimental feelings towards their mothers. Let's face it. Life's hard. We make mistakes. Some of us, perhaps, when they think of mom and they draw on the memories of their childhood, they're... They bring up feelings of disappointment, perhaps, and maybe even bitterness and resentment. You know, how am I supposed to honor mom in that? You know, but the beauty is, the beauty of being a disciple of Jesus Christ is we are no longer motivated by our feelings. We're motivated by Christ. We don't have to rely on how we feel to honor God and to do the right thing by others. You know, whether you've got wonderful, squishy, happy, uh, you know, feelings towards your mom today, or whether you've got not so happy feelings towards your mom today, all of those feelings need to be brought into submission to Christ because they will both lead you astray at one time or another, causing you to fail and not live up to what God has called us to. You know, today as Christians... We need to honor our mothers not as an act of sentiment or, or as an act of drudgery, but rather as an act of joyful, obedient worship to our Father who is in heaven. Happy Mother's Day. Thank you.